ask you to remain standing. We're going to be reading from the book of Revelation, chapter 2, the last book in the Bible, uh, found on page 1312, and we'll be reading verses 18 to 29. This is God's word. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works." But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, do not lay, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your word. And Lord, I pray as we hear it spoken this morning, may it be your words, not mine, Lord. May you penetrate our hearts. Teach us what it means to know and follow you. And we praise you for the work you will do here this morning. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we see sexual immorality all around us. It's kind of hard to escape its reach. It's in our face in in a lot of movies, a lot of television shows, throughout music. There's even hints of it when you watch children's programming, most that goes right over the heads of our children. Then you have commercials during sporting games, billboards as you're driving down the road, and let's not even get started about talking about the internet and pop-up ads that seem to come at the most inopportune times. It's a full-time job to keep our eyes pure. And it's an even bigger responsibility if you're entrusted with children to keep them from being exposed to things. What a responsibility that we have. Pew Research did a survey over the last year of adults and their views of sex and relationships. It says casual physical hookups within a non-committed relationship. 54% mainline Protestants, 62% Catholics, 36% Evangelicals say it's okay. Physical hookups in a romantic relationship, not marriage, 67% mainline Protestants, 64% Catholics, 
46% of evangelicals say it's okay. Those numbers are astounding. You know, you, you look at it, and I think I can say many in the church are thinking it's okay to have sex outside of marriage. Many in the church are taking our cues from the culture, not the Word of God. Our bar has been lowered. Our standards have been lowered. And so many people are not using God's Word as the standard to guide what we believe in these things. And many become good at justifying why God would think it's okay. Here's some of the things I've heard. God would rather me give myself to someone than to burn with passion. Or another one, I didn't ask for these feelings. Only God could have given them to me. Or, here's one of the classics, I love the person. It's as if we're married, so it's okay. And we can come up with other excuses and justifications for our behavior. So this morning, I pray that we're challenged by God's Word. If you're sitting here this morning, you think sex outside of marriage is okay. Listen to the God's Word. But this is also for those of us that are sitting here, and we've turned our heads and thrown up our hands and just kind of given up and said, you know what, people are going to do what they want. Just let it go. This is for you too. And so as we've read these words already, this message is appropriate for us today, just as much as it was appropriate and important for that first century church. So let's jump into the word. I love how, you know, most of these letters of the churches give us this graphic, you know, colorful picture of Jesus in so many different ways. And verse 18 is no different. And so as we jump into that picture of Jesus first, who is Thyatira? Thyatira was a place of purple cloth trade and industry. Uh, they had a dyeing facility there uh, where they dyed cloth. Um, this was a place where a lot of people traveled through. So there was a lot of different people from different nations. A lot of worship of a lot of different gods, including Zeus and Artemis, Apollo, Demeter, Athena. But this is a place where Paul and Silas went on one of their missionary journeys. In Acts 16, they were able to meet Lydia, a seller of purple cloth. And the Lord opened her heart as she heard the gospel proclaimed. She came to faith. She invited them back to her home where they were able to teach her and her family and do baptisms, and continue to share God's word. And so it would have been through Lydia, through those who came to faith, that this church was established in Thyatira. And it's only in Acts and Revelation where we even see a mention of the city, this church. And so as this letter is open, what's the picture we have? We said this is the Son of God, Jesus. And he's described here in two ways. He has eyes like flames of fire. Now, that's not the first time that that's been described when it comes to Christ's eyes. Revelation 1.14, 19, 12, talk about his eyes as a flame of fire. Daniel 10.6 says his face was like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches. So what does that mean to have eyes of fire? Well, this is describing the knowledge of God, the truth of God, how it is piercing, it is perfect. It judges our attitudes, it judges our hearts, it judges our actions. 
There's a purification that comes as we listen to God's word, as we heed it, as we believe what God is teaching us. And so as we see that image, it's something meant to humble us, to remind us we're nothing before God. But Jesus is everything. Jesus is the one who's all-powerful. Jesus is the one that knows all things. Jesus is the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And so we see this image of his eyes. And then it talks about his feet. His feet are like burnished bronze. Bronze is solid. Bronze is steady. And so using this picture for Jesus' feet is demonstrating that his way is steady. His way is strong. His way is unwavering, pure, holy. And so when you take his eyes and his feet together, this is a picture of somebody we want to follow. We want to follow his word, the word that's been given to us in this letter from the Son of God. And so think, Jesus was standing before you you, and your eyes locked with his eyes and you saw these eyes that looked like fire. You saw these feet that were like burnished bronze. How would that change you? Would you listen? Would you be focused in on him? You know, as our eyes lock with him, as we look into him, as we focus on him, we will be changed. How has that changed you? The problem for a lot of us is we're not looking. We're so busy keeping our heads down. We're so busy trying to fit in with the world that we miss the beauty and the power and the majesty of the one who is sharing an important message with his people. My prayer is that you would see him clearly in the word today. And as this passage ends, he who has an ear, let him hear. So we jump into the message of the letter. Verses 19 to 20, we see a commendation and words of warning. John wanted to encourage this church. He says, I know you. I've heard testimonies of what God has done in your midst. I've heard of your reputation, that you're a church that has loved well. You've loved God. You've loved your brothers and sisters in Christ. You've loved the lost. We hear about your love. You're a church who has showed faith, not just in good times, but in difficulties, in struggles, in persecution. To see that your faith, it's not in men, It's not in possessions and stuff, but it's in God. And this is something we have seen in you, your faith in Jesus. We have seen your service, your service of others, your service of God. Not focused on their own needs, but focused on the needs of other people and fulfilling those needs. We've seen your patient endurance, whether in sickness and tribulations, again in persecution, not freaking out, not trying to solve your situation on your own, yourself, but being patient with the Lord, trusting Him, enduring whatever is thrown at you because of that trust in Jesus. And then John says, and you're growing. You've grown in all these things. And John says you've grown so much that your new works, your works now outdo the works from before. So seeing that spiritual growth, seeing how they've grown in their faith from when they were young to when they're more mature. 
These would be encouraging words. It's encouraging when somebody comes to you and says, I see what God has done in your life. I've seen how you matured and how you've grown. And so as we think back to our own lives, can you look at your life? Can you look at your own faith, your own service of the Lord and see you've exceeded where you were before, where you were when you were younger in your faith? See, that's the goal of our walk with Jesus, spiritual maturity, spiritual growth. God doesn't want us to be spiritually stagnant. God doesn't want us just coasting along, doing the bare minimum. The goal is for us to learn and grow in our faith. God wants so much more for us. He wants us to serve him in so many different ways. He wants us to be kingdom builders. And so how are we growing in that faith? How are we serving him? Not to earn favor. We can't earn favor. We can't pay back what he's done for us. But we serve him because we love him, because what he has done for our lives, how he has delivered us from our sin. And so John is acknowledging all these things he's seen in this church and individuals in the church, how they've grown in their faith. Then it comes the word, but. It's usually an uh uh-oh, what's coming now? It says, but, just like most of the other churches we've read about, there is something the church has to work on. This church has not arrived. They still got some growth. They got some things they need to deal with and think through so they can continue growing as a body and growing individually in their faith. And it says this, God has this against the church. You tolerate Jezebel, that woman who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants, Christians, to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Who is Jezebel? Well, if you look in First and Second Kings, we're given a picture of this woman, a Sidonian who married King Ahab. She became queen of Israel. Now she promoted worship of Baal. She had Asherah poles erected. She also had her husband. Like, you want that vineyard over there from Naboth? He doesn't want to give it to you? Leave it to me. She goes and, and hires false witnesses to make false accusations against Naboth, saying he had defamed the name of God and the king, and he is stoned to death. Here's a woman who has all these prophets of Baal. And Elijah, you know, on that mount, mountain when he had the fire come down and, and burn up that whole sacrifice. And then he has all the prophets of Baal killed. Jezebel's one says, I'm going to kill you tomorrow. She wanted him dead, this man of God. And so we see this woman, this evil woman, who pursued God's people. And God said a prophet and said, your whole house, it's going to be wiped out. And you actually are going to die and get eaten up by dogs and not even have anything left to be able to bury you. And so we see this is who Jezebel is. Read in First first and Second Kings, you can read about her. Um, So this is who John is referring to in this letter to Thyatira. Now he's not saying Jezebel is here, but there are people who are acting as prophets thinking of the words that she had shared to falsely accuse Naboth. 
She has those prophets falsely teaching within the church today. And it says here they're teaching and seducing other Christians to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. 1 Corinthians 6, 15 to 17 says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined with a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And then the food, the sacrifice, the idols, if you read in Acts 15, 20, and 29, God's people are told to abstain from food, from the things that have been sacrificed to idols. But these people, they're coming in, men and women, coming into the church, sharing God's word, though not really sharing God's word, but their version of God's word. And the word here is kind of graphic in what it says what they're doing. When it says here, they are seducing God's people, his servants. That is not an accidental, oops, what, you're following me? Oh, so sorry. But it's more of a deliberate It's a conscious effort to try to get God's people to do what is sinful and wrong, to believe things that are not right, that are not true, to go against God's word. I was speaking recently with a young adult man, you know, from another state, and he was sharing about his young adult ministry in the church he was participating in. Came to find out that there were women in that group that had made it their mission to try to get the men to compromise their beliefs on sexual morality. They wanted to get them to have sex before marriage and presented it in such a way to say, it's okay. We're honoring God in how we're doing this. And it was their whole goal to get these guys to compromise and to justify why it is good. That's Jezebel at work in the church today. And so what did she do in the Old Testament? She turned many people. She turned a nation away from God. She was successful in getting people to worship idols, to compromise on what they had heard from the Lord. Jezebel's like the woman in Proverbs 5. If you ever read that, Proverbs 5, we're warned about this woman. It says her lips drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. Yet it also gives this side to her. In the end, she is bitter. Her feet go to death. Do not go near the door of her house. She leads us astray and into folly. See, Jezebel is still at work today in our churches. We see that in the statistics I opened up with in the beginning. We see that when we think of the addictions to pornography... You know, maybe you'd be surprised, maybe you wouldn't, that that addiction is just as big in the church as it is outside the church. We see that when we think of who is a relationship, a marriage relationship to be between. We see that when it comes to our gender identity. Jezebel is seducing people to believe a narrative that is contrary to God's word and presenting it before us as this is good, this is true. And yet, as we see in Scripture, as we see in Proverbs, we are not to go near her house. We need to run away, stay away from the message, the enticing that she wants us to fall into that sin, to compromise of our faith. 
But we think of these first two verses, this isn't even the main point of these two verses. Yes, we see Jezebel. We see her life. We see her work, as we read in Scripture, as we think of the church today. But the main point of this message is you, church, and Thyatira, you have tolerated her. You have tolerated her teaching. You have tolerated her seduction. So what does that mean then? To tolerate something is to allow the existence, to allow the occurrence or practice of something that one does not necessarily like or agree with without interference. For many of us, we tolerate a variety of sinful things in our spheres of life. We tolerate the dishonesty and, and maybe even the cheating of a coworker. We don't like what they're doing, but we're not going to be that person that says anything. We tolerate bad behavior from our children or our youth, many times with an attitudes of, kids will be kids. They'll outgrow it. It's just a phase in life. Then there are some of us who tolerate bad teaching in a church, or maybe you know people tolerate bad teaching in a church because they want to be in a place where, you know, the music's a little better. I know what the truth is, so I can tolerate the bad teaching to get some of these other things that I want. We tolerate skimpy clothing on TV and shows or commercials. We, we tolerate explicit lyrics and music. We, we tolerate sexual content on the internet and never do anything actively to put a stop to it or to address it or the attitude. No. We are not to tolerate sin. See, our practice in general has been, you know, we don't interfere. The world will be the world. We're not going to interfere. And we let it go on. Because many of us maybe think, it doesn't really impact my life. And so we continue to coast along. Now we see in Revelation, we see in the church today, it is interfering with us. When you think about it, 46% of evangelical Christians believe it's okay to be physically intimate outside of marriage. I don't know who they're polling. That's still a high number. That's almost one in two people. That is interfering with us. That's interfering in our families. Maybe some of us don't even know it because we're putting the blinders on. We don't want to see it. And yet it is impacting our churches. When a high percentage of Christians are watching things on the internet, and justifying what it's okay, it is impacting us. We are the body of Christ. And when some, somebody is struggling in sin, struggling with those kind of addictions, struggling with those behaviors, it does impact us as brothers and sisters in Christ. We are one in Jesus. And so John calls out to this church and says, I have this against you. You tolerate Jezebel. You're not interfering. You're letting her seduce. You're letting her falsely teach my people, my servants. It's as if John has seen our situation in the church today, writing to us in our circumstances. See, these are timeless truths, truths that we can continue to read and understand and see this has impact. This has relevance for us today, too. And I know this truth convict, convict me in many years of ministry. Has there been times when I'm like, you know what? Let their parents deal with that. I'm not going to address it. 
They're going to keep listening to that kind of music. They're going to keep watching those things. No matter what I've said, you know what? Let their parents deal with it. And it's easy for us to get to that point of just giving up. Now, those have been fleeting moments. You know, we have great conversations in youth group addressing some of those issues. You know, but it's easy to get to the point of just saying, you know what? It's somebody else's problem. I'm done. I don't want to address it anymore. And yet the challenge given to the church in Thyatira is don't tolerate. Deal with her. Be proactive and not just sit back. See, the world, what it's holding out to us, it's enticing. It looks good. It feels good. Yet it comes with a price. And that's the next section here in verses 21 to 23 is to see what is the price of Jezebel's action. What are the consequences to what she is selling if you buy into it? And so we look at that in verses 21 to 23. As we see in the book of Kings and Chronicles, Jezebel was warned over and over through the prophets, repent, turn away from your sin. And what does she do? She had him killed. She did not tolerate God's word. She loved her gods. She loved her sexual morality. She loved her power. She lusted for that power and that control. And in 2 Kings 9, Elisha sends Jehu. says, kill all of Ahab's house, including having Jezebel thrown from that window. It was eaten by the dogs. It came to pass. Now, some would look at the story of Jezebel, and I did read this week articles of people that have basically said, Jezebel wasn't really all that bad. She's just misunderstood. I don't know who they're reading about in the Bible, but when you read in the Bible about Jezebel, here was a wicked, evil woman who worshipped other gods and had people killed because they served the living God. She encouraged her husband to take whatever he wanted and doesn't matter who you have to kill or falsely accuse to get there. She didn't care about God's word. She didn't care about God's people. She just cared about herself, what she wanted to get in that moment at that time. And she basically, her message is, you don't need to listen to God. You don't need to follow him. Just do you. Get what you want. You deserve it. And that's the message of Jezebel. And so what do we see about her then in this letter to Revelation, uh, to the church of Thyatira, to the spirit of Jezebel, to those who were living like her, living out of her message. It says she has been given time to repent, but refuses. She will be thrown into a sickbed. Those who follow her and commit adultery will be thrown into great tribulation. Her children will be struck dead. That's a pretty stiff penalty. A stiff penalty when you're not following God, when you're rejecting him, when you're following Jezebel, and yet we saw it come to pass. Ahab, Jezebel, their whole family, the prophets of Baal, all were killed, all died because they did not repent of their sin. Yet even in the midst of that, God gives hope. He says this penalty will come unless you repent of her works, repenting of their sexual immorality, of rejecting God's standard for his people. And then it ends that section by saying, by judging Jezebel, by judging in this way, John is telling us a church will know who God is. 
the one who searches mind and heart, who gives according to our works. You see, there's two ways to go. There's eternal death and destruction for those who refuse to repent. You will die in your sins if you don't acknowledge who Christ is, what he did for us on the cross, paying a penalty for our sins, raising again from the dead, putting your faith and trust in him. But eternal life for those who do that, who don't trust in their own works, who are willing to say, I'm a sinner, I am imperfect, but I know Jesus was perfect. I know that he lived a perfect life. And this Christmas, we get to celebrate Christ's incarnation. He was born in that manger so that we could be saved from our sins. We needed the perfect sacrificial lamb because we couldn't do it alone. The people that sacrificed lambs had to do it over and over and over again. Jesus came to be that once-for-all-time sacrifice. And so we celebrate that at Christmas, the coming of Jesus, and remembering what he did for us on the cross. And so in this word, we have the warning. The warning is before us if we don't repent. And so the question becomes, whose child are you? Do you see the penalty for living as a child of Jezebel? The one who rejects God's word, who rejects God's standards? Are you part of her family? Are you part of the family of God that has repented of their sin and turned to Jesus Christ? So I want to quickly just hit the last section, verses 24 to 29 then. So what about those who don't follow Jezebel? For those who reject that message and stand against that message, well, verses 24 to 29 give the blessings of resisting her. And so we need, to, we need to remember as we read this section of Scripture, in Thyatira, just like the other churches in Revelation, there is major persecution happening. It is not popular to follow Jesus. Following Jesus means you're rejecting your family, you're rejecting your culture, you're rejecting what they teach you. And so people look at that and say, why would you do that? And so they persecute those who are different. And it's not too different when we think about us as Christians today. How many times do people look at us and say, why don't you believe what we believe as a culture? You're narrow-minded. You're a bigot. You're fearful. You hate people because we don't believe the message what our world says. And so we see it's not so different today. We're looked at strangely too. And God knew our default would be to tuck our heads, put our heads down, and hide. And so that's why he gives us the blessings in this last part of this. Because he wants to encourage us, to challenge us, to take that stand. To stand up for the truth. And so what does he say here at the end of this letter? How does he encourage this church? He says, you have not held to the deep things of Satan. Matthew Henry says, there are great mysteries and depths to evil too. And we're not to be drawn into those things. He says, you have not held to them. Christ does not overburden us. He doesn't give us more than we can handle. He's the one that provides strength. He's the one that helps us in everything that we do. He is our strength. And then John further says, hold fast to what you have. Hold fast to the truth that I have given you till I come back. This is an active thing. It's not a passive thing. We're to grab a hold of God's word. 
kind of like white-knuckled and not let go. Not let go of those promises to that truth that we read in God's Word. And in verse 26 and 27, we see the promise that we will rule with Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ. And that promise is for all of us as believers. And he says, I will give you the morning star. I mean, think of the hope. Jesus is coming back. Now, that's a whole thing of revelation is the promise of come, Lord Jesus. Jesus promised in John chapter 14, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I will come back and take you to be where I am. I will give you the morning star. And so we need this encouragement, this encouragement to stand firm, to not tolerate sin, to be actively pushing back on the call from the world to step in line and conform. That's not who we're to be as followers of Jesus Christ. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can be able to test and approve what God's will is. We can't do that if we're being like the world and living and acting like the world. And yet some of us sitting here this morning have decided the fight's not worth it. It's too much of a cost to me individually. And one day it's going to be a big cost to the church also. And yet we're to stand up and fight. And so this message to the church in Thyatira, it's not for the non-Christian. Yes, they're called to repent of their sin. But the message is to us as a church. Stop tolerating Jezebel and her teaching and her seduction and hold fast to God's teaching, to God's word. It is going to be unpopular. The world is not going to love you. But yet that's what we're called to do as the body of Christ. And as verse 29 says, he who has an ear, let him hear. Let's pray. Holy Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, may it change us. May it challenge us. Lord, sometimes we, we can come away from this with all kinds of questions. What does that standing firm look like? What does it look like to not tolerate? Starts within our own hearts. Starts with us dealing with the truth. Understanding the truth. Living out that truth. And then sharing that truth with the people you've put into our lives. And so, Lord, that's how we don't tolerate. We proclaim the gospel. We share how Jesus Christ changes lives. He changes hearts. Lord, that's not a power any one of us can yield. But Lord, it's a work that you do in and through us. So may we be obedient to stand firm, to grab a hold of your word. And Lord, not just to hold it for ourselves, but then to share it with others. Lord, show us who. And Lord, then may we trust you to change their hearts, to change their lives. Lord, we pray for that person sitting here does not know you. They're living in their sin. They're taking their cues from the world and living like the world, conforming to this world, that you would help them to see their sin and that we're dead in that sin. And that their only hope is to confess that Jesus was perfect, died on the cross, rose again from the dead, and through faith in him can we have eternal life. Bring them the faith in you. We praise you for the work you're doing in our hearts this morning. Continue to grow us in our faith. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.